Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. This is an emotional podcast for me. I'm sitting here with my old friend, Larry Block, Lawrence Block. You probably know him as one of great writers who's still writing books. He's been writing books for, he's been writing for longer than 60 years. Something like that. And books coming out for about almost that long. Oh, yeah. And certainly short stories were coming out before then. Right. Larry's been on the podcast before. He and I have been friends for close to 30 years, something like that. We certainly met 30 years ago. Yeah, easy. And um, long before that, I was, I was reading his work. And Larry, you know, um, it's funny because... I mean, you know, um, in our in our lives, you know, you play a really important role to me and you know how much I care about you personally. And what's great for me is how much I I care about you as an artist. I at 14 started reading your books and I, you know, got to write a foreword for a collection of stories um, about this character, Matt Scudder. Uh, And you have just completed and are about to release the latest book involving Matt Scudder. Indeed. Called uh, The Autobiography of Matt Scudder. The Autobiography of Matthew Scudder, yes. The Autobiography of Matthew Scudder. And I've read the book. It is different than every other book about Scudder. Uh, It has some enormous similarities (laughs) to the other books about Scudder, but it is not a crime thriller. No, not at all. It's not a novel, really. Well, okay. Talk about that. Why is it not a novel? Well, I I suppose it is, but in a kind of a meta way, which is a word I rarely use because I don't begin to understand what it means. Perfect. But but, uh, it's, it's the autobiography of a fictional character. And I found out, incidentally, I, I wrote it and not aware of it's ever having been done before. And I found out, oh, a couple of months after I finished the book, I'm glad I didn't know it before, that Simonon had written a memoir uh, of Magray, his his recurring detective. And I read that, and I found it very comforting to discover that while I have enormous respect and uh, admiration for Simonon, this particular book was quite dull. You know, it, it, it just didn't much work. Well, this book is not dull. And, and I don't think you, look, I, if you are a Matt Scudder fanatic, I've, uh, just in case people are tuning in who didn't hear our earlier conversation on here, I have read each of the Matt Scudder books three times, and some of them I've read five times. So I'm really the target audience for this book. Absolutely. And I have to say, I was, I think, the second reader of third reader of it. Yeah. So that, that's good. I guess your, your, your wife and your, one of your daughters read it first, yeah. uh, which is fair. I accept that. I accept being third <laughs> to them. Uh, uh, but, it's, but I think you don't have to. Uh, it's funny, you, you say there have only been a couple of these books, but, but I mean... Many books purport to be memoirs of fictional characters. The difference is this is the memoir autobiography of a fictional character we've met yes, indeed. in That's many books before. Yes. Uh, yes. And I do think if you go and, and read those books, 
it, it might make this experience, it'll make it different and might make it richer in certain ways, but I don't think it's required. You don't? I, I was uh, wondering about that because it seemed to me when I was trying to think how to, uh, oh, promote the book or, or yeah. do anything toward its aid, I, I thought that really anyone who's a real fan of the Scudder series will want to read it. Yes. But I couldn't think of any reason why anyone who was not would would even want to pick it up. So uh, it baffles me. Well, perhaps they would because you're one of the great living American writers and are acknowledged as such. And so well, there's a... They, if, if, if they are already Scudder fans, they probably either disagree with that assessment or, or just don't share it. Yeah, or maybe they don't know. Like, yeah. that's the thing. And maybe this being not... Because there are... I'll say this. There are people who just don't want to read genre fiction. There are people who don't think they like genre fiction. Yeah. And even though I would make the argument that after the third book, these aren't genre fiction, uh, I think the first three are um, yes. at the literary edge of genre fiction. Mm-hmm. But I think once we're into the fourth book, you're doing something entirely different. Um, and you're nodding. So I guess in your reevaluation, you, you, you accept that's not a crazy s- statement. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with it. Right, you'll go and, along and, with and, it. And I, and I think drawing the line after the third book is probably right. Yeah. Yeah, I often tell people, like, it's fun. I often say this about Billions, that the fourth episode is when Billions found its footing. But it's really hard. You can't just start on the fourth episode. And I think... The first Scudder book, I think you got to read the first three uh, and then to get into the series because there's a lot of context that you get if you do that. But I have so many questions about Scudder and one I've never asked you and it never occurred to me until reading the autobiography and I guess having read your memoirs, you know, because Larry, you've written three or four books that put together are like a long memoir of right. your yeah. life as a writer, yeah. your creative life, your personal life there's the book about your approach to walking which is a memoir there's the book about your writing life which there's it exists but i guess reading the last one of those and then the autobiography matthew scudder why'd you not make him uh, you know he goes to church he lights candles he's not a religious man but he does particularly in the early books he's lighting a lot of candles in a lot of churches Mm -hmm. you're you grew up jewish and uh, yeah. uh, how did that, there's so many ways in which Scudder, his interiority and yours have, a, have stuff in common. And then Probably. that aspect is quite different. And I'm, how did you, was it a decision or just happened? I suppose it just happened, but that it was probably a decision on some uh, unconscious level anyway. But um, I had no idea I knew when I sat down to write the first Scudder book that I was going to do three. And I did them one right after the other, and that was because they were pitched as a series to a, a paperback house, Dell Publishing. And the character was pretty much who he is from the very first book. You know, he's evolved. We, we see more of him. Also, the books are... The series, entire series is written in real time. You know, the first book was was published in 1975. It was written in 1973, so it was written, whatever, 50 years ago. And he's 50 years older than he was then, which is, uh, has been interesting. I was 
vague about that or non-specific about that for the, the, his age for the longest time. And then in what I think was the 12th book of the series, A Long Line, Line of, of Dead, Dead Men, Men uh, the whole book is about aging and mortality and the passage of time. And it seemed um, artificial not to be specific about his age. So I said it then, and I made him approximately the same age as uh, as, as myself. Yeah, that um, that's the other book that is a line of demarcation, I think, uh, I, in terms of what the books do and what they're about. Like, I think there's the first three, then there's the next bunch of them that where the thing is in full flight is both things. And Long Line of Dead Men, we talked about, we talked about this, uh, you and I, many times, but... That's the book I read the most in the series. I've read mm. it the most times um, because for me, that's where it's really a book that is in its own. Yes, there's a mystery running. There's a crime that needs to be solved. But that's really a book about people evaluating their lives and their place in the world and mm. why they do what they do. And I think all the books after that have to do with a lot of stuff from the past coming back like the the, the past is very alive um and not just you know the first books obviously there's this there's a central incident that haunts the character but that's different i right yeah. in, in 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 some way i mean you knew it was a serious character and i guess as i asked the question about the the religion the difference in, in your religions it it occurs to me that the first book revolves around the church is in the first book, and maybe that helped you make that decision in some way. I well, wonder. <clears throat> I don't think so. The habit of uh, I wrote when I wrote the book, uh, I was living um, on Fifty Eighth, yes, uh, between Eighth uh, and Ninth, and um, I got in the habit myself of uh, going to Saint Paul the Apostle. Uh, and lighting candles there. So it became Scudder's Church when, when he did that. And was that something you had often, in your prior books, prior series characters, had you often used as many details from your actual life? Was that just your process then? No, just, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a matter of putting myself uh, or my life and, into things. It's It was just... Oh, that'd be something for him to do, and uh, sometimes it would be something I had done, and sometimes something I hadn't. Sure, there's no way you committed as many murders as Scudder, and if you had, congratulate, you've pulled off what you've pulled off is remarkable. <laughs> if you committed, you. I mean, what an achievement! Thank you to have committed th that th many. Thank you. I've been trying to keep that quiet, but uh, <laughs> you, what the hell? You killed as many people as him, and uh, nobody ever uh, found out. That'd be in, in, uh, really uh, incredible. Larry, you knew that you were going to do these three books. When did it occur to you that in large part this was going to be your life's work? This character was going to be different. You've had many series, long-running series characters. Right. But I think even you acknowledge that, that Scudder is a different thing. Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think they're written on a, a deeper level or, or playing in a tougher league than, uh, yes. than most of my other work, I, w I would say. That's not necessarily a reason for anyone to like them 
more or less, um, or for them to be any better at what they're trying to do, it's just that what they're trying to do is a little different. Yeah, but the ambition, many times when you and I have had lunch, when you were younger and I was younger, which would you be wouldn't really any time before today. before today before this before even five minutes ago. But you, you you used to not really acknowledge that, and maybe you've thought about it differently as you're writing the. I've, I mean, it, in a way, the autobiography, and then we've thought about the character in the last few years. It seems like you've accepted that that notion that it's a different thing, or or you didn't want to talk. It seemed like you didn't want to really talk about it much before. That may be, and it's hard to remember. Yeah. And I guess if the ambition is there to do the different thing, it's not for you. It's never for the artist to decide if they've so, succeeded at it. But but yeah, you're, the audience can tell you, or the people who speak about it can right. tell you in a way. Were you surprised that, you know, you constantly tell me you're never going to write another word and then... Tracking from the first time you've told me that, I think you've written like 11 books or something or 12 and, you know, so many more I, articles let, and let, pieces. Let me correct that a little bit. I never took a vow not to write anymore. I never hoped that I wouldn't write anymore. I thought at one, at, at various times, I, th I thought that I might very well be done with writing novels. And um, I was surprised each time to discover that I was not done and I was pleased but I I you know you can't take this for granted especially after a certain age when you can no longer take anything for granted and I'll flip the thing you said about yeah and there's no age at which you can take anything for granted I, I, yeah, I, that's I, true. I would flip that, from that, the that, that's true but but uh, there's a point where you realize that you can't fuck yeah it might be yeah I'm, I'm now definitely older than when we met, and that's... I'm older now than you were when we met. Yeah. And that's uh, very intense for me, realizing sort of all that stuff and how I looked at you. Because, you know, you and I are good friends. We talk very frankly to one another, and we're there's a 30-year age difference, about a little less than 30 years yeah. uh, age difference. And... Um, which at various times has played more. Like, you know, when I was younger, when I was in 30, you and you were my age, it seemed, and you were 20, 57 or whatever, it seemed like this big gulf. Now it's hard, like now, I, it's less sort of on the front burner to me, other than I'll ask you certain questions about how I should be thinking about things. Uh, and I guess that's a, a question I have, is does uh, like, as one gets older and as a writer and is constantly thinking about things to express uh, and expressing them. Do you become conscious of the ways in which you understand certain fundamental things about the world than before? Uh, I don't know to what extent I, I become conscious of that. I, I know it's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, and of, of course, you know, I mean, it starts, starts very early in life that one sees one's perceptions have, have, have changed. I have uh, an embarrassing memory of being 14 years old and saying, oh, to be 11, knowing what I know now. 
Yeah, I believe you. That's and fucking awesome. And there have awesome. been versions of that running in my head forever, you know, because uh, a, a sort of uh, a silent apology to the universe for the fool I was five years ago. Yeah, of course. That makes that tracks totally for me. What do you think? Because it's drawn you back again and again, and 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 you rarely talk about the why. I'm gonna make you a little bit, but what do you think you get out of the act of writing? And and so many points in your life, it became important to you to try to help other people do it. You wrote columns about it. You've written books about it. You've done seminars. You've taught classes. I I don't know that we can really say that my primary motivator in doing that was to help other people. I believe you. I know yeah. exactly what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, when I got the Writer's Digest column, which is when I started formally writing about writing, and that would have been in 1976, I think, what pleased me most about that was the prospect of getting that 150 bucks once a month. And, you know, that doesn't sound like much money now and I'm here to tell you it wasn't much money then but uh, it made a difference and it was good having that there and it was good having having a specific thing to do once a month which was sit down and write uh, an 1800 2000 word column so I think the ultimate explanation for all of my writing uh, books is uh, there are they're just two horses that pull my chariot most of the time, and they're, they're uh, ego and avarice. And uh, I, I think those are, the, those are the motivators for, for most of what I've done. And, like, I, I anticipated an answer fairly similar to that because you're good at deflecting about the deep art stuff because something about the deep art stuff, I don't know, it seems to rub against you don't want to be phony or you don't want to think, but... Or, but uh, but you have to live the life of an artist. Have what? You have lived the life of an artist. Oh, yeah, sure. So, sure, an artist wants to get paid. But there are lots of ways somebody smart as you could have gotten paid. Oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that I wrote what I wrote of, because that was the best way to make money. There would have been much easier ways to make money throughout, and there much, would have been uh, much more commercially viable ways to make it by writing. But, uh, you know, I've, I've wanted to, I've, I got spoiled, oh, quite a few years ago, probably, probably 40 years ago anyway, maybe more, that uh, I no longer wanted or even was able to write something that I didn't want to write. That's really important to say. Yeah. 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 Right. And it's very true. And I, I just didn't want to. And I haven't. And this is not to say that everything I've written in the past half century has been glorious. That's totally different. That's right. a totally different right. thing but to it's, say. It's what I wanted to write. Well, right. Something. So there's the thing about you. When you get an idea and you start going, you finish, you can write. I mean, I, I know of late you've been last 10 or 15 years, you're, you're willing to abandon something if it doesn't work for you. But even before no, you had and then come back to it or, or whatever. But something made you. When I read the writing columns that have all been collected in books, and when I read your books on writing, even when I read the stuff from the seminars, there is a joy in the work. Meaning when you read it, you can tell you're having a good time writing it. That's usually true. 
and yeah, because it's 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 uh, you're making real points, but you're also making them with levity. You take the piss out of yourself. You take the piss out of the reader. You're like doing the thing that you do on the page, the thing yeah. that's your voice, the Lawrence Block right. voice, right? And yes, it's a slightly different voice in Scudder than it is in Tanner, than it is in Keller, but there's a thing that you do. That we all reveal ourselves when we do this, right? Uh, like I could, like I know for me, the when I started writing, I finally was able to feel somewhat at times comfortable in my own skin, right? And when one reads your, what's the memoir about writing called? I just forgot I read um, it before it was a book. A Writer Prepares. A Writer Prepares, right? So yeah, one reads that book and understands who you were and where you were in the world and why you needed some release valve that was different. But as you've, let's say you didn't do the writing columns because you wanted to help people and it was really just because you're a greedy motherfucker who, 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 who has a big ego. Um, if I could just translate the words you used. <laughs> but, but, but still, you must have seen the way that work hit off of people and caused them to do things. And I wonder what you think the benefit of writing is to people. Like, why is it something that we're drawn to? Why is it something you're drawn to? What's the utility of it? I'm not sure I ever asked myself that question. It's, it's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Well, I... It, uh, I think that uh, somebody wrote something about uh, Mathieu and Gloria Steinem, I think it was, was, was quoted as saying that she wrote because she realized that writing was her Mathieu. And by that, she meant that it fit the three definitions of Mathieu. One, it was uh, something that when she did it, she never felt she should be doing something else. Uh, secondly, it was a source of satisfaction and occasionally of pride. And third, it was terrifying. Yeah, right. Do you still find those things to be the case when you sit down to do the work? Probably to a degree. Yeah, I, I would think so. Uh, but I don't often sit down to do the work. And um, I, uh, I've, I've written, oh, several books in the past, over the past five years. And each one came as a surprise to me. Right. Uh, each was a book unlike anything I'd ever done before. Each was enormously satisfying. So it wouldn't dismay me for this to continue, but it wouldn't surprise me for it not to. Well, yeah, and, and, and you know, I, as you know, I mean, I think you've written some of the very best work you've ever done at this age now. I think so, too. I, I, I do think so. I mean, it's um, it's a remarkable thing. I mean, as you know, I'm Dead Girl Blues, which I've talked about before. That is just flat out one of my favorite novels, best novels of the last 25 years. It is not a series novel. It's a novella in a way, uh, but it's, it's very fucked up. Just people, it's dark, but it's a masterpiece. One thing that those books, Dead Girl Blues, Matt Scudder, Autobiography of Matthew Scudder, your own... A Writer Prepares, which maybe was written a little bit before, but finished sort of in the last 10 Well, Well, it was written at great intervals. Right. Uh, about 50,000 words of it was written in uh, the mid-90s. And then after I'd found a publisher and made a deal for it and, and everything, I then put it on the shelf, abandoned it, bought my way out of the contract and forgot about it. And then in... Uh, Oh, 2019, I think it was. I dug it out and finished it. 
So it's <laughs> it it was an interesting experience, and I I have to assume it's a, a interesting book to read. Well, it's it's a yes, it's completely great book to read. Hearing you say, uh, "Oh, everything I've done is uh, greed and avarice, or whatever the thing, ego and avarice." Those three books I just mentioned do involve the narrative force in the book taking a kind of a really deep stock of themselves, mm-hmm. really taking a look, mm-hmm. and with uh, an eye toward redemption, an eye toward the question of the possibility of yes, redemption. Yes, that's probably true. So does that happen to you on the page or does that happen to you walking around? I, like, are you one of those writers who discovers what you think about the world through the act of writing or are you walking around with that shit and going, oh, I'm going to put that in a book? No, I find, I find it out on the page more often than not. Yeah. And is that, I mean, maybe that is one of like the satisfactions of doing the thing because it's this conversation Ooh, well, with yourself. Probably, except sometimes you find out on the page things you'd rather not know. But uh, it works out. Well, yeah, but 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 I say an eye toward redemption because your 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 characters don't pat themselves on the back. Nor does the character of Lawrence Block the, when Lawrence Block's writing memoir. Even when you finish a hundred mile race, you're uh, just writing it off to doggedness, and not even as though your doggedness is necessarily an admirable trait. It's just a trait. Yeah, I wouldn't call it admirable. <laughs> right. Now, the reader might call uh, feel that, that way, but uh, which is why I'm saying it's not as though you're writing redemption stories. I do wonder, look, all of us have things about ourselves we'd like to change. All of us have moments in our lives we'd like the chance to relive. You know, is there something in these, these books that leads you to a, an ability to feel like you can forgive yourself for whatever. I'm not sure that there's a lot of myself that I haven't forgiven. Good. Yeah. Perhaps that's why that's what these books sort of deal with in mm, some perhaps. in yeah. some way. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what the autobiography of Matthew Scudder purports to be and then what uh, the freedom that it gave you. Sure. Talk about those things. Sure. It was not a book I ever expected to write. I, I never had any uh, con- conception of it at all. And I had uh, dinner with a friend who wanted me to contribute to a series that he was publishing of four, five, six thousand word pieces in which the writer of would write about a series detective that he'd, uh, he'd been writing novels about. And people have wanted me to write about Scudder before, and I've always disliked the idea. Yeah. Everything I know about him or, or, or care to tell you about him is on the fucking page, you know. I'd, right. So, uh, so I, I didn't want to exactly tell him no, and I told him I'd think about it. And I went home, and he'd given me a batch of uh, booklets of other people's contributions about their 
detectives and some of them were interesting and some of them were not interesting and I read them and I, I thought about it and that made me no more inclined to write a book about Scudder. And then I figured out how to do it and realized really by the time I sat down that I wasn't going to write four or 5,000 words, that it was going to be a book. Uh, and it begins, as you know, with a few words from me explaining what, I, what I've just said, essentially, and saying that it struck me that the only way to do this, uh, to have a memoir or autobiography of, uh, or biography of Scudder, would be for uh, me to just turn it over to him and let him write it himself. And that's the conceit. And right away, uh, we get the sense right on the first page that uh, it's not a reprise of the novels by any means, because it begins with him <laughs> saying that his birthday was September 7th. He said, although for some reason it's given as May in some, in some of the novels. And, uh, you know, and he, so we, we realize right away that the, the books are novels, they're works of the imagination, uh, which which he contributed to by recounting the cases yes. to this Lawrence Block, whoever the hell he is. Uh, but this is uh, him sitting at uh, his computer in his in his uh, the front room at the his apartment in the Park Burnett, and uh, and writing, and that was uh, how it proceeded, and. There are very few incidents, uh, uh, episodes recounted in the autobiography that have even a counterpart in the novels, uh, yet it's the same guy. And it was, it was a delight to write. I, I don't know if I've uh, ever enjoyed a writing experience more. And like with A Writer Prepares, you stopped his autobiography early, too. Like, both books kind of end at a certain point. Oh, well, I felt that was really the point, because, because after that, we've, we've got uh, too many cases that are already in the novels and that, and, there's the, and, and, and too much material that has already been summarized in the novels. So there's no point. It, it seemed to me to have, have reached a logical stopping point. Yeah, but, but uh, it's interesting, though. You did both men kind of like when the public life became really apparent. Yeah. For yeah, you and for Matthew. Well, I, I suppose I, um, with the writer prepares, I, I probably gone, could have gone on f uh, further. Yes. Because there was no necessary chronological cutoff, but I figured I'd reached the point where this writer was prepared. The writer, <laughs> well, you were a professional, I mean, you basically, yes. you'd yes. become a professional yes. writer. Yes. Um, I remember reading that and, and um, going, oh, when, when are you going to write the, the part that takes us from there to there, you know? Because the books, I mean, this is, you have this incredible gift for never overstaying your welcome. Mm. I guess except, uh, for the living part, <laughs> but you know, 
than that, uh, see only a, only only somebody who actually knows you in life knows you. I knew you would find it funny. Uh, it's not really the kind of thing you could say if you were just interviewing somebody. So don't worry, I didn't insult him. He doesn't. You don't, <laughs> you don't feel insulted by that. No. Do you? Uh, good. Um, but did you know going in? I'm always interested in the craft stuff. Did you know going in that um, the ways that the vernacular would be different, or did it just did it just happen as you were writing? How do you mean? Well, you as you once said, like Matt Scudder in his autobiography speaks different. Like the the book is written differently than the Matt Scudder novels. Oh. Like, uh, he doesn't express himself. I mean, there's a comment about, like, he doesn't express himself exactly the way uh, the be. narrator of the books expresses uh, themselves. Uh, it's a different uh, descriptive faculty. Like, the way he yeah. would describe, like, I, I found reading it, the way Matt would describe somebody is different than the way Matt, the fictional character, I, I'm does. sure you're right. I'm completely unconscious. That's great. That. Yeah, you just inhabited it. Well, because you said it felt different in a way writing it. So how oh, is it? Oh yeah. How is it different uh, well, writing the, it? The conceit here is that Matthew Scudder is writing, and he's not a writer. I guess is what I'm saying. No, he's he's not. He's not. Uh, but um, but you get the sense that he kind of is. I mean, yes. one of the things that got him the gold shield was that his, and got him fast. Yeah, well, he was great at writing reports. Was that his reports? Oh, that's an awesome part of the book. Yeah, yeah. it's great, great yeah. part of the book for sure. Yes, no, he has a great um, uh, ability to write, but he doesn't. He hasn't written books before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it feels different in that way. That's interesting. It didn't feel different to you in that way, but as a reader, it does in a very good in a very good way. Do you, do you think the act of writing crime fiction that's about something, you know, that deals with redemption? And I mean, I, I even know by the way you answered the other question, uh, but okay, I'll frame it this way. To me, it seems the act of writing these kinds of books, that there is, it's a moral act in a way. It is uh, because I, I feel like when I read your work, particularly the Matthew Scudder books, and Dead Girl Blues too, and the one before that about the short order cook, that you are very directly introducing your sense of what it is to live with a moral code. Hmm. And is that, I mean, you think about those pieces of work, they're, they do deal with people trying to understand what their morality is. Is that conscious for you? Do you think it's about morality in any way? Or is that just happens? No, I think it just happens. Uh, I don't. I don't think I think about it that way. So, do you not think about theme? Ever? No, never. Never. Um, huh? Never. Hmm. Never think about theme. No, I don't. I don't. No. But you do. You recognize that there are that there is like say thematic unity or development through the Scudder books, like. As Scudder goes through the world and, and witnessing these things, making these changes in himself, deciding when violence is appropriate, feeling certain ways about that violence, taking certain actions, that he is building and, and, then, and then demonstrating 
a moral idea or an idea about the morality of the world or what it means to live as a moral person in a fucked up crime-filled world. You know, this makes me think of the old story that they tell about uh, the mentally challenged fellow who found the lost horse when no one else could. And people asked him, how did you do it? And he said, well, I just thought, if I was a horse, where would I go? And, you know, that, that's how I write the books. If I was him, what would I do? You know, yes. and I, as, far as, as far as theme, as far as uh, story arc and things like this, I, I feel stunningly ignorant. I just follow the horse. Yeah, but like, um, I wish people could see the glint in his eye as he says this stuff because although I know you mean it, you also have to know, like, I know you mean it, right? On the other hand, you do, when you say, well, Scudder is playing in it, we're, those books are me trying to play in a different league. But that different league is one of theme. And, like, if, what's the separator? This, isn't the separator ideas, in a way? Character explication? Like, uh, I suppose, but I, do I just write the book, you know? Yes. That's fine. I understand it's all in the books and yeah. you can't speak yeah. about it. Okay, so then I'll flip it. What, because I've, you know, why do you have an understanding from even what the readers say? As Like I had this experience recently. I, I, I gave the Matt Scudder books to a friend. And there's a friend who's very well read, very accomplished. And he just like had never heard of them somehow. And he lost his mind to the... To, and, you know, and, 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 and we ended up having lunch with, with, with my friend. I knew you guys would like each other, and he's an, an artist, oh, too. Yeah. And Do you have an understanding at all of why they resonate in the way that they do for the people who lock into Matt, Matt Scudder, as different from the reasons Keller does or Tanner does or Bernie does? You know, does, it make sense? does that make any sense to you? Well, I think different people uh, respond to them for uh, very different reasons. There are some rather elemental people who just like to watch Mick Ballou kick the shit out of somebody, you know, or they, and there are some people who are more into nuance. And I suppose the, the books thus can be said to work on a couple of different levels. Oh, very fancy thing to acknowledge. Do you find that you like grow as a person or did for a long time by writing these books? I'm not sure which is chicken and which is egg there. I suspect the books have grown over the years and I suspect I have and that there's probably a relationship, but, but I don't know well, what's to blame for what. That's a perfect answer to the question. Right. So you're not even aware as the writer, whether your beliefs inform Scudder or Scudder's beliefs inform you. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he and I don't have to see things the same way. We don't have to agree. Of course. Yeah. No, of course. You can come out on different sides of a question. Yeah. yeah. Joking, uh, jokes aside, uh, you might not have, even in the situations it's possible, you might not have taken the actions exactly 
that he took. Mm-hmm. Now, you might have, or you might even justify them. That doesn't mean you necessarily would. Look, I mean, the reason I'm interested in this is because I do look at this body of work, and it, you know, it annoys me that crime fiction is not, sometimes is, but basically crime fiction is not really regarded in the same way that lit fiction is. True. On the other hand, it's much more likely to be read by a later generation. (laughs) Much, much more. Um, And not necessarily the best of it. it, Well, say more about that. What do you mean? I mean that uh, genre fiction in general is much more likely to survive uh, as the reading material of later generations. The, uh, you know, if you look at the towering figures of American fiction in the 20th century, most of them nobody under 40's heard of. And they're certainly not being read much. Yeah. Now, some people... Hemingway is, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. But Mailer isn't. Like, Hemingway is, but Mailer is not. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, and the ones that are are mostly being read in college classes and that's a lot like not being read yeah and I, well and i could also that's funny and i could also i could also say hemingway wrote war stories i mean like you, you could say that hemingway yeah. it's not genre fiction but one could say he he has fights he does have things in his books that have genre conventions or things that became genre conventions i i suppose i think um I think a lot of people read Hemingway because that's the name they still know. Um, Do his I, not bo- you don't find his books offer you re- like rewards when you read them? I'm, I wouldn't want to be forced to read Hemingway these days. I still, yeah, I still love reading Hemingway for whatever yeah. reason. And no one's, no one's forcing me to read him. Yeah. I get a lot out of it, but I'm old. So, you know, yeah. it may be different for me than it is for uh, 25 years. Indeed, months. indeed. I mean, he wasn't alive. I was never alive when he was alive. I was born two years after he died. But, uh-huh. but still, the work for me matters a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know the answer to this. Like, were Chandler and Hammett considered major writers in their lifetimes, or were they just considered crime writers? Like, I mean, you studied them. You've written about them, yeah, so you must know. They, uh, they've both been gone a long time. They, they probably were. One thing that was very interesting to me, I taught a, a course at uh, Newberry College in the fall of 2019. I taught a writing section, and then I, I taught a, a course uh, reading crime fiction for pleasure. And I vastly uh, overestimated the extent to which people would have time to read. So, uh, I, when, what I, I was completely oblivious to the fact that when you're a college student today, reading for pleasure is uh, a contradiction in terms. And the only way things get read is in order to write a paper or cover your ass on an exam. And, and even then, the, so the, the idea of reading a book a week for this course struck them as impossible. But uh, anyway, I wound up reading the, uh, a lot of books uh, in order to, to do it myself, uh, reading some of the things I'd assigned. And it was disquieting to discover that books I'd had tons of admiration for, 
I no longer thought much of. That, uh, that even if I liked them overall, I no longer, you know, I, I couldn't go two chapters without hitting a passage that struck me as, as horribly written and a real clanger. And this was true in a book I'd read several times, uh, always with admiration, that was Hammett's The Maltese Falcon. It was true uh, with Chandler to an extent. It's always been true for me with Chandler. He, he can perpetrate some unseemly paragraphs. He really can. And that it was true with, with most of the, the things that I'd, I'd read a while ago. You know, they, they seemed to me not to have aged well, not because of uh, the sort of considerations that makes one rewrite Roald Dahl. Uh, right. But... Uh, to just because, gee, that's not very good, is it? Was the reaction I would have. And that, that surprised me. So why do you think Chandler has survived? Because the movies? Because that's or... the name everybody knows. The people who know nothing else about crime, crime fiction know that Hammett and Chandler are two enormously respectable writers and that's who they should start with and that's who they should stay with. And, and that's enough to color a lot of it. Um, and that's certainly true in the worlds of academia where people would like you to think they've read more than they have, but, but it's not necessarily the case. I, I don't, I don't want to err on uh, the, the, the side of contempt here. I, I think there were uh, things about Chandler that uh, I admired very much and probably still would. But there was always a lot wrong with the books, as far as I was concerned. And Hammett had a very limited output, and a couple of the books I thought were, were, were terrific at the time. But as I said, uh, I don't think I like them anymore. I'm less of a Hammett person than I am yeah. uh, a Chandler person, but I, I re even though I can't argue with you at all about what you find to be the failings, in Chandler, yeah. I just totally enjoy reading those books. Yeah. Um, I've read them all a couple times. Yeah, like sure. They mean something to me. Mm -hmm. Well, so when you say genre writers end up being the ones that survive, what are some examples of that? Like, what are examples of that? Well, Hammond and Chandler are yeah, examples. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, just the number of, of mysteries that, are, that continue to be in print. Yeah, sure. Uh, Agatha Christie. No doubt know. about it. Uh, Nero Wolf, like tons yeah, of that stuff. Tons of things, and uh, and they don't age in the same way that most literary fiction does. And certainly, the the thing that that's dead, you know, five years after it's published is most of the traditional bestseller list list fiction. Oh, of course. Which you know got got where it got because it. Uh, it plugged into the zeitgeist for, zeitgeist for one uh, magic moment there, but um, it's hard to read, you know, a few years after it's published. One thing in the, the last few Scudder books, this one too, loss is a very big theme, or theme, I don't want to use the mm -hmm. word theme if you don't like the word theme, okay. but loss is at play. And we've talked a lot in life about loss. Sure. and. Did you turn as a reader to fiction when, like, in your own life when dealing with that stuff? I mean, I find I uh, 
suddenly I can be like listening to a song or I can be any, anything can kind of like trigger a little mini moment of like mm-hmm. catharsis or pain or whatever. But books have always helped too. You go to, I mean, people go to books to deal with mm-hmm. that stuff. I can tell already. And just like, uh, obviously you're not intending to make them a meditation on loss or grief. But is it helpful to you at all to write the stuff? Is it helpful in dealing with that stuff to write about this character you've... Well, it may very well be. I mean, uh, according to one school, art is done to uh, heal the artist. And um, yes. But I think that only works when you're not conscious of it anyway. So uh, I... Uh, I suppose it's had a therapeutic effect, but in a, in a way, so I suppose is everything I've written for me. What do you mean that the artist isn't supposed to be aware of it? Hmm? What do you mean when you say the artist is not supposed to be aware of it for it to work? Well, I, I think, I just think that, that it's an unconscious process at best. And then I, I think, uh, I don't think you can sit down and say, I'm going to write a book about such and such a death, and that way I'll feel better about the death I've experienced. I don't think that works. I haven't tried, but I don't think it would work. No, I completely agree, of course. And, and you know, these books are also about the death of the person that the characters used to be. A lot of them. Yeah. And I'm sure that... Yeah. I'm sure that's in there too. I mean, you know, I I feel it strongly reading. And I would say like having been 14 when the first time I read Sins of the Fathers and then being 57, 56, I guess, 56 when I read the autobiography of Matthew Scudder and it's the gift of having the character age. It's like I'm carried along. Mm-hmm. Like I, as I grow, as I've grown, <laughs> am carried along. On that, and that journey with him. Right. And so it's extra resonant in right. a way. And now with the autobiography, you get to read about his boyhood and early years. Yeah, which we never got never, before. Never. I know who his father was. I know what happened. I, I understand what happened, how he grew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all those things. I only let myself read it once because the only downside of being your first reader outside of your family is... Uh, then I've read it. Do you know what I mean? I fucking read the thing. So uh, everyone else is going to be really excited because they're going to get to read it. What's the date it comes out? June 24th. Everyone else is going to get to read it June 24th. I will read it again that week for sure. And I'll get to see any little tiny spelling changes or whatever change since I, I read it the first time. Have you been writing since that book? Have you written anything? No. As a last, what do you find yourself thinking about these days? Anything? Or just like... Uh... I, I thought when I finished it, because to my astonishment, I wrote uh, two books in calendar year 2022. This was one, and, and uh, the, uh, uh, the burglar who met Frederick Brown right. immediately preceded it. And they were both books that exceeded my expectations. I was, del- I was delighted with both of them, if one can be delighted with, with one's own work, and, and one can. And I thought, this is really great. I seem able to write after all. I seem able to write as well as I uh, ever did. Uh, I can't 
spend as long a time at it as, as I used to, and I can't write as many words in a day as I used to, but it's certainly adequate production. Uh, and I look forward to the next thing I write. And that would have been back in October, and the cupboard is bare. For right now, the cupboard is bare, but this is what we know. As long as Larry yeah. Block is walking around New York City, and by the way, at 84 Four. years old, he walked fucking 15, 16 long city blocks to my office just now and is going to walk back. As long as you're well, walking. We hope he's going to walk. As long, well, obviously, I'll give you a ride if you want to you want a ride. I'm happy to give you a ride, man. I'll fucking give you a piggyback. I'll carry you. Dave and I together, we'll fucking carry you back. I mean, whatever you need. Um, but as long as you're walking around, there's a, the city. I feel there's a chance you're going to find the next story. It's always possible. As I said, I don't rule it out. I've never ruled it out. And if, I won't even say if you don't, because I always think you will. But this book is, if you've listened to this podcast for, for years or you're a new listener, get this book when it comes out. Read it. You have a little time between now and then. Go back. Read the Matt Scudder books. I will say this. Once you start, especially blow through those first three, you're going to lock in. You're not going to turn away at all. I'm sure you hear in my voice how much regard I hold Larry and uh, he, you know, you're very meaningful to me, Larry, as a, a writer and as a human. And um, I'm just grateful that we got to spend this hour together. Thanks. Pleasure was mine. All right, everybody find Larry online. He exists. Uh, uh, you can get his newsletter. You can find out what's going on in his life. Go to his website. L Lar LawrenceBlock.com. Very imaginative. LawrenceBlock.com. No. No imagination wasted on that bullshit. Save it for the books. Go to lawrenceblock.com uh, and uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.